We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, where we left off last week, but we'll also be in Acts chapter 1. And so if you don't have a Bible and would like one, would you just raise your hand? Maybe if you don't have a, a smartphone or a device that can get you access to one. Um, <laughs> we only have one left now, and he gets one. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to do some Bible drill. Um, the first thing I want you to do, and this will be more difficult for you if you're on a wireless device getting access to the Bible, but I want us to be in Luke chapter 24. Maybe stick your thumb there and then make your way over to Acts chapter 1. And so the book that's in between Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1 is the Gospel of John. And we're going to skip reading just a couple of paragraphs from Luke chapter 24, skipping over John into Acts chapter 1. So as you're making your way there, I want to explain to you why we're doing that. The book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke were both written by the same guy. And in fact, he wrote it as two volumes of the same work. It was the same project. And Luke wanted, first and foremost, for you and I to know the person and work of Jesus, something we commonly refer to over and over and over again as the Gospel, the good news, that who Jesus is, God who does not abandon us, but God who is with us, and what Jesus has done, God not forsaking and judging us, but God forgiving us and redeeming us by the blood of Jesus Christ, is incredibly good news. It's good news for those of us who are rebellious and know that what we have done is quite awful and we're running away from God. And that's good news because we know that God has done something for us in Jesus that's greater than any awful thing that we've done. But it's also good news for those of us who are self-righteous, who tend to pat ourselves on the back for the things that we've done, it's also good news because, again, there is nothing greater that can be done, even in your best and most self-righteous moment, which the Bible refers to as disposable rags, than what Jesus has done for us. And so there's good news. The gospel is not just entrance into a club, but it's the thing that gives us identity, first and foremost in Christ, but finally and forever as we live forever with Him. And that gospel, that good news we take from the four Gospels, or the four accounts of the good news of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We want to look specifically, because we've been doing this for this last week, at the very end of Luke, where he finishes up his volume one, and he goes to volume two, which is the Acts, that is the actions of the apostles. Not only the good news of who Jesus was, but a description of the movement that came about as a result. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to resume our series, picking up in Acts chapter 15, that we began almost a year ago in the next couple of weeks. And the sole purpose was that we, as a group of people, if we're going to have healthy DNA, and you and I both know developmentally the most important and pivotal years for a child are those first little bit, the, the, the kinds of patterns of behavior that you've established in the first couple of years of a child will follow that child forever and ever. And in the same way that we're like a baby little church coming to life, we want our DNA to be wrapped around the gospel and the account of the earliest church, such that if we're going to have traditions, we want them built in the good news of Jesus. And we'll resume that this next week in Acts chapter 15. But this week I want to talk specifically about kind of our last week in the season of Easter as we transition out. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 24. Let's begin reading in verse 36. Hopefully you've kind of marked your spot so that once we get to the end, verse 53, we'll swap over here to the end of the Gospel of John and the beginning of the book of Acts. So here we go. Beginning in verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, that is the disciples. And he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So switch over to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the beginning of the second volume. In the first book, that is the gospel, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day, the Sabbath day's journey away. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in this particular passage, and I would argue for you and I, in the church and in the world, is completely unstoppable. And the Holy Spirit has an unwavering zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. And everything that the Spirit does, everything that God does by His Spirit is measured by Jesus and ultimately glorifies Jesus. As you saw there, this, there's a lot of common threads. For the last couple of weeks, we have seen that the Bible tells us the unadulterated story of broken people following Jesus. That people, even though they had committed their lives to walking with Jesus, still when they saw Jesus, just sometimes still don't get it. And the first followers of Jesus, they saw Jesus, they doubted according to Matthew chapter 28. And in spite of their doubts, Jesus says, go, now tell people, make disciples like yourself of all the nations. Intimately linking our command to be witnesses in the world with our ability to see Christ alive. But Luke has the same story that people see Jesus alive and their first response is to doubt what they see, that surely this can't be Jesus. We saw him die. In fact, last week we saw there's an account of two different people, uh, two apostles, two disciples, one by the name of Cleopas, and they were walking along the road, and they were side by side with Jesus. And they were sad because they thought that what they had hoped for in Jesus, that Jesus would come and give them a kingdom here on earth, that Jesus would redeem them in a specific way that would overthrow the occupying Romans. In fact, it was a hope that was far too small compared to what Jesus was doing. And even as they walked beside him, they were unable to see that Jesus had already come back and Jesus was establishing a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom in which he would come and be with us, that we would follow after him, that he would not abandon us, but literally, according to this passage, he would walk along the road with his people until they opened their eyes to see him. 
And immediately following where we pick up here in Luke chapter 24, the first commands that he gives to his disciples following revealing himself to them is to go and to tell. So God is doing something in Jesus Christ that is for the whole world, for all the nations. There's no outcasts. There are no rejects. There is no one too far from God to whom Jesus has not come and to be present with. There is no one who can run so far that they can outrun the love of God. We see this over and over and over again, that there's nothing that can separate us, according to the New Testament, to the awesome love of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. And so we tell, we go, and we share. And the reason we do that is because Jesus promised us in Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus reveals to us in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit, will be present with us in such a way to accomplish the task. God's Spirit will do this. It is God's task. It's His mission. The missio dei, as we'll call it, the mission of God that He is going to accomplish in the world for His glory. And He could choose, if He so wished, to be glorified among the nations by displaying His justice and wrath. And if God so wished, He could take your sin and, you, and my sin and your rebellion and my rebellion and use us as an example of what not to do. And if He wanted to, He could use you and I as a poster child to say to the world, this is what happens when you do not meet the expectations of a holy and perfect God. But thanks be to God, He has chosen to make Himself known to the nations, not by displaying His wrath in our lives, but by displaying His infinite patience. And by displaying His infinite grace and His mercy over your life and mine such that people who don't even get it, did you, did you catch the little, little nuances that these people, they still ask questions that are wrong-headed, they're short-sighted, they still don't understand, and they have doubts even when they're seeing face-to-face, such that when you and I come with our doubts and our brokenness, instead of displaying our ignorance, excuse me, instead of displaying God's glory through our ignorance and His wrath, He chooses to use you and I in our brokenness, our imperfections, and our fallibility to show His perfect, perfect grace. So God's Spirit, God's Spirit and in the church and also in all the world is the same, doing the same thing. It's unstoppable. There's an unwavering zeal that the Spirit has to turn people to the glory of Jesus Christ. And everything that the Spirit does is measured by how much glory it brings to Jesus Christ. And for us, I think there's four different things going on here that I hope will encourage us. It'll also help maybe mark where we are, having been hanging out together for a year. Some of you haven't been here that long. If anything, that's even evidence of marking this thing that Jesus is doing through His Spirit and His presence among us. That you and I will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That we will receive power for the mission that the Spirit ultimately wants the world for Jesus Christ and that you and I will have enough power until Jesus comes back. So let's start. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, we see this in the text here that very first and foremost, uh, Luke introduces what he's doing in the same way he introduced the Gospel of Luke. Um, he said, hey, look, I'm writing this book for a specific person specific person. This would have been a Greek or Gentile name, most likely, this guy Theophilus. And this is meant to be a window for you and I to see who Jesus is. This is meant to be a kind of a, an archetype or what it looks like to be a person seeking out Jesus. Not necessarily a highly religious person. So if you maybe are not from a religious background, maybe your family tree isn't the most reputable, then you're in a good spot here because this is who Luke wants to speak to specifically. Theophilus, and good Greek name, a person loved by God or the love of God marking a person. I've, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. So what Jesus began to do and to teach, did you catch that? What Jesus began to do and to teach was just that. It was only the beginning. It was only the start. It wasn't the completion necessarily of God's mission here on earth but it was finished in some powerful way through Jesus Christ. And yet it was in also some mysterious fashion only the beginning. And what Jesus began to do and what Jesus began to teach, the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus would carry on. 
what Jesus began, He has actually left in your hands and mine to carry on. He's completed it. He's, he's accomplished the task for which He was sent. Such that when He was on the cross and He breathed His last, His last words that were, it is finished, it is paid in full. It's done. Not simply to say that, oh, this is it and I'm dead and I'm, it's all over. But He has accomplished the task for which He was sent. Namely, to seek and save that which is lost. And not to be served, but instead the Son of Man came to serve and to lay His life down as a ransom for you and for me. He completed the task. And yet, by His grace, that task will be carried on now not by the doing and the teaching of Jesus, but by the doing and the teaching of, the God, of God's Spirit through His church. Jesus talked about this multiple times. In John chapter 14, He says it this way. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. Did you catch that? This, this correlation between the doing and the teaching of Jesus and the doing and the teaching of Jesus' people. And He says that greater works than these will they do because I am going to the Father. Stop for just a minute. To believe in Jesus is to be a part of the doing and the teaching of Jesus. But then Jesus says something that confounds the imagination. He says that those who believe and trust in me will actually see greater works done and they will do them because Jesus is going to the Father. What an amazing amount of trust that Jesus is placing into his people, right? Jesus, who has perfectly accomplished the task, has looked at you and me and said, you know, as awesome as the things that you've seen me do, I've healed people. I've taken people that were broken and made them whole. People who were cast out, and I've brought them in. People who were rejected, I accepted. People who were guilty, I made innocent. People who could not walk, I made to walk again. And yet, all of those amazing things, those people who believe and trust in me will actually see and do even greater. hard to believe but this is jesus alluding to the fact that once he leaves according to verse 13 whatever you ask in my name this is what i will do even though it seems that jesus is gone jesus is going to keep doing something just like he promised to us a few weeks ago in matthew chapter 28 go make disciples of the nations baptize them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and remember i will be with you even to the end of the age so whatever you ask in my name this i will do i'll continue to do that the father and ultimately will be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that is His Spirit, to be with you forever. And the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Because the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. You see those words repeated in Luke chapter 24? Don't be afraid. I give my peace. What's that peace ultimately rooted in? That Jesus has done something for us and He will never abandon us in it. He comes back to it in John chapter 16. I did not say these things, He tells His disciples, in order, or excuse me, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to Him who has sent me. And yet none of you asks me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has now filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, then the Helper, that is God's Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is also the judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. 
And He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. And He will, did you catch this? In the way we started, in the way we saw in Acts chapter 1, John chapter 16, verse 14, He that is God's Spirit will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. For all that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that I will join, or excuse me, I will take what is Mine and then declare it to you. So this thing that Jesus is leaving to His disciples at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts is not new. That God's Spirit will come. That even though He has accomplished the task in Jesus Christ and Jesus has now ascended into heaven, even though Jesus goes to the Father, it is actually to our benefit. Did you hear John? It is actually so that greater things will happen. And even though these people were mourning that Jesus was now gone, Jesus ultimately was doing something different. Jesus was doing something that was actually to our benefit. And to illustrate it, he said that beforehand, John was baptizing in repentance and confession of sin with water, but now I baptize you in your repentance and your confession of sin with my Spirit. You and I will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. We will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptize, I love that word that, that's used here. It, it's, its connotation is being immersed. Picture being at an amusement park. And you know what the people look like that just get off the water ride. You can tell where they've been. And if they wanted to hide it, they could not. Because their shoes and socks squish with every step. Their once well-kimmed hair is now drenched and they're dripping everywhere they go. That's the picture that the people of God are meant to show the world of God's Spirit. Such that people can tell, wow, there's something going on with there. You can tell by the way they walk. You can tell by the way they look. They are drenched in something. Now, they're not just spiritual people, but there's something about them that is so deeply saturated with God's presence that it looks like they've been drenched in God's Spirit. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that's what ultimately will allow us to see greater things. So let me at every given point here point out where I think this is happening. There's some of you in this room, and, and if, if you're just on, this is going to be hard for me to get through. So, man, there's some of you in this room that a year ago you were not following Jesus, and you did not know this good news. And now, some of you in this room, you believe, and some of you have even been baptized to make that public. This is happening. You're in this room as proof that this is happening. The Spirit is doing something. There's some of you in this room that you've had doubts. Maybe you still have them. But now you're faithfully wanting to seek God. You're faithfully wanting to glorify Christ. And a year ago, maybe further back, you weren't. There's some of you now, as I talk to you, you have a hunger for God's Word now. You have a hunger to know God's will for your life. And a year ago, that was the furthest from your mind. There's some of you, I have a share with you, you're openly wanting to be better men and women, be better more Christ-like fathers and husbands and wives and mothers and friends to the people around you. And 12, 18 months ago, you weren't. And now God is doing this among you. And do you know how I know? Because I can see it. And it's like you just stepped off the water ride because it's so obvious that something's going on in you. God is doing something in you that I, I can only brag about it and encourage it. I hope that's ob- also obvious in me. I mean, I hope that like, you, you know, wow, he's, he's a much more patient guy than he was 12 months ago, right? I hope, wow, he's, I hope my wife can look at this and go, man, by the power of the Spirit, this guy is more in love with me and he's a better husband and father. I don't just wish this for you, but this is for us, that the Spirit is going to come and do something. He's going to baptize us in such a way that everywhere we step, there's going to be wet footprints. And I see that in you. And it's exciting. And so if you find yourself skeptical and wondering, I don't know if this is real, come talk to me. I would love to win you over. I would love to make a case. As you look around you, I would love for you to to make a case for you of all the cool things that God is doing. Not just that he called us here on a Sunday morning in an elementary school, which is crazy and obvious that God is doing something. But when I see you day in and day out, I see the marks of God's grace in you and I must be the Spirit. God is doing something. God's people have been given the Spirit. And they were immersed by it so that the world would see that not only were they spiritual in nature, but they were given identity by God's Spirit. But the next thing that we see in the text, not only that the Spirit will 
be present with us and mark everything that we do and go before us and accomplish the work for us, but he's going to give us the power to do it. So, so once you get down to uh, this particular passage here, Acts, um, Acts 1.8 um, says this, that the, the guys asked a question. When they come together, they ask the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now just take a note here. If, if you have questions about this, I would love for you to listen to the last couple of weeks of podcasts you can find on our website and you'll kind of see the background of this. This is a common thing that the first people who saw Jesus thought that he was going to come back and give them a kingdom here on earth. They thought that, he was going, that Jesus was going to have political power and share his political influence with his people. And they were devastated when Jesus, instead of doing that, but instead he was silent when the political power hung him on a cross as an example of what happens to those who say things that you ought not say against powers that exist. And they were distraught. It says last week that they were, uh, they were, even, they were depressed. They were downcast. And they thought that all was lost. They said that we had hoped that Jesus would redeem us. And he says, you foolish people. I'm not going to say that Jesus says that, right? Jesus says, you foolish people, you didn't get it? That this is not plan B. The cross is not some accident that happened that is outside of God's control. Like Jesus was going along and he was getting crowds, and he was creating a movement, and, a, and he was building a following, and then, oh no, the Romans came on, and Judas betrayed him, and then they killed him, and God's up there going, I don't know what to do now. They killed Jesus. Instead, Jesus says, no, this is exactly what was meant to be. Jesus fulfilled this, and their first question was, Jesus, why didn't you redeem Israel? And even though he laid this out, you kind of caught that, he opened up the Scriptures at the end of Luke chapter 24 that we just read. What's the first thing that these doubting people ask in verse 6? Okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Now, when are you going to restore Israel? He just got done calling a couple of them some foolish people for not understanding God's plan. And then here they are asking again, when are you going to do this? And they wanted an inside track. They wanted inside knowledge. And this is what Jesus ultimately says. And I want to paraphrase here, and I, I, I want to use his words, but in, in common vernacular here, the Greek does something funny. It just simply says, none of your business. Did you catch that? He says, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know. As my brother would say, hey, if I was asking my brother, when are you going to restore the kingdom? My brother would go, oh, I didn't tell you. No, you didn't, because that's none of your business. It's not for you to know. I hope you will at one moment be humbled by this, but also incredibly encouraged. All of the answers to which our heart cries for answers. Why? What's going on? When will this end? Or how is this heading? Or you know, what's going on in the future? Jesus says to you and to me in our worried little hearts, as we worry for tomorrow, don't worry. I'm telling you, stop worrying. Tomorrow has enough worries to handle itself. Did you see the birds? Did you see the beautiful flowers? They didn't worry about being beautiful or about having nests, and yet God provides for them. How much more will God provide for His children? Stop worrying. And if you want to know about the future, because you're worried and because you're selfish and you're worried, Jesus says pretty clearly in verse 7, it's none of your business. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father is fixed by His own authority. Did you catch that? God is doing something by His own authority in the world. And he will clue us in. He will let us in on that conversation as he sees fit. And let me take a minute here and kind of repeat something that I've tried to encourage you with, and mainly because I hope you'll encourage me the same way. But many people who would call themselves Christians are actually more obsessed with being right about Jesus than they are obsessed with following Jesus. Many people who call themselves Christians take great pride and take a great deal of joy because they think they're right about Jesus more than they take pride and joy because they're following Jesus and they are in Jesus. This is the temptation for us all. And for some of us, we cling to Jesus because let's be honest, he just seems to be offering the best thing. It makes the most sense. And if I had to make an argument about the world, I can win it by knowing my Jesus facts, right? I, can, I know my Jesus trivia and I know enough Bible to make somebody feel stupid. This is really interesting because Jesus speaks directly against that. It is not about what you know. It is not necessarily about what you understand, but it is more about what? 
what you are witness to. The Holy Spirit will give us the power to do it. It will not come by our own knowledge or our own know-how, even though those things are incredibly valuable. And we as Christians go to great lengths to make sure we are good at those kinds of things. But I hope you will just breathe a sigh of relief to know that God is doing something, and thank God it's not up to how smart you and I are. He hasn't left it up to your genius, or for me, your lack thereof. Instead, He has left it up to the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing that God is doing to accomplish His mission, He has already granted to us by His Spirit. And it does not come because we have all the right answers to all the questions. Because that's what these guys wanted. Jesus, when are you going to restore your kingdom? And He says, it's not for you to know. So you and I, I hope, take this as an encouragement to spend more time seeing the power of the Holy Spirit at work as we declare the gospel, as we are witnesses to the good news that Jesus has done something for us, then we spend time on being right about everything that we could possibly be right about. We point to Jesus. We're a witness to Him. We are not a witness to our own intellect. Now, the New Testament goes to great lengths to encourage you and I to not be foolish. Instead, to be wise, to be, Jesus as wise as even serpents, right? Innocent as doves. We're not to be idiots, but we're to know, like 1 Corinthians tells us, that ultimately, knowledge only has the power to puff up, but love has the power to build up. And even though we may know more about God because we've seen Jesus, it's not because we're special, it's because He's merciful. And we are not to lord that over the world that doesn't understand how good Jesus is, but instead we're to live and walk in such a way that we love them with this good news. I don't know anybody who's ever been shamed into loving Jesus. Right? Like, you are so stupid. You don't understand Jesus. You don't get it. You're doing this and you're doing this. And Jesus says, Dude, I've never seen the end of that conversation go, you're right, I changed my ways. I want to follow Jesus. And there's a reason. It's because the Spirit is the one who changes hearts. The Spirit is the one who changes our minds. The Spirit gives the power, not our wisdom. It's not for us to know. Ultimately, it is for us to be the witness. Let's break down that that thought of witness. You saw that at the end of Luke chapter 24, right? You will be witnesses. The eyewitness testimony is what's more important here than the things that we think give us a great deal of comfort. We're only special, and you'll read this for the rest of the book of Acts, not because we're special, but because Jesus is special and has done something and given something to us that makes us now witnesses. In fact, for the next couple of chapters, these guys go about telling this good news and they're witnesses, and the people, instead of saying, wow, you guys are really smart, we should listen to you, they say quite the opposite, and this hopefully will encourage you. For the next couple of chapters, the first sermons that are preached are met with wise people going, wow, these guys are really uneducated. It's amazing how these guys are so uneducated yet starting a movement. It's not their education that's marvelous. It's apparently that they've been with Jesus. This ought to encourage you, right? This is, this is good for us who like struggle with making a complete sentence with proper English, right? For those of us who maybe have a hard time kind of, remember, don't ever do math out loud, right? If you, if you ever find yourself a little behind uh, on the learning curve, there's good news. This is exactly who Jesus wants to use such that people will marvel, not ultimately that you and I are smart, but they'll marvel that the Spirit must be doing something powerful. Jesus is going to give us the power to accomplish the mission. We want to do research. We want to know God's Word, but ultimately it's Jesus who is going to do it, and He is going to be with us, and He's going to accomplish it. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says it to to Peter this way. He says, Peter, you're going to be my rock. And on you, my rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he is the Christ. And keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. Do you know why you should keep it a secret? Because once I accomplish this, you're not going to be able to keep it a secret. Once I walk out of this tomb alive and marvel you, you won't be able to keep it a secret. Because ultimately it's His power, it's His Spirit that accomplishes the mission. 
Spirit ultimately also wants to win the entire world for Christ. I'll let the Scripture explain this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says it much better than anything I can say. Verse 1, now concerning the spiritual gifts. So the Spirit's going to do something that's going to give us gifts that are supernatural in nature. Concerning those gifts that you and I begin to have as we follow Jesus, we trust in Him. I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For there are varieties of gifts, but there's the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the very same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these gifts that you and I have All of these gifts given to us in different ways are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Why? Because because God's Spirit wants to win the entire world for Christ. Did you catch that? It's the Holy Spirit, it says here. No one that's speaking by the Spirit can say that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing it. And the Holy Spirit is testifying to Jesus. And everything that the Holy Spirit does will glorify Jesus. So there's a good little practical way to apply this. If someone comes to you and claims like a spiritual gift or a spiritual authority, you can test them by saying, hey, in what way is Jesus glorified by this? And if they don't have an answer, then you can say thank you, but that gift's probably for you and not necessarily for us because the Spirit only testifies to Himself. The Spirit does not share glory with anyone. Instead, the Spirit, God's Spirit only brings glory to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is a good practical application. If you come to me and you're like, hey, the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this, I'll be like, okay, in what way will this bring glory to Christ? Because if it it only brings glory to you and makes you feel good, well then, you know, thank you, but that's probably not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who allows us to say that Jesus is Lord. This is also cool, and I want to encourage you, this is happening now. The fact that you're sitting here and you're not throwing chairs or tomatoes at me as evidence that the Holy Spirit must have somehow softened your heart to hear me tell you about Jesus. Because no one can say that Jesus is Lord. No one can even open their mind to believing that Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is doing it. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us realize the miraculous possibility that Jesus is Lord. And these people didn't believe this at first. They didn't believe it. Did you catch what they did after they heard that they were to be witnesses? The angel came to them toward the end and he says, Hey guys, why are you still standing here? Jesus had promised them the presence of His Spirit for the whole world. That they would be witnesses. And the Holy Spirit would allow them to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But even then, even though they knew they were supposed to be witnesses and they were to start to in Jerusalem, they were supposed to remember they were outside of town, so they should have walked back into Jerusalem and start being witnesses. And instead they stood there and it says, according uh, to verse verse 8, when he said these things, they just were looking on. And as he was lifted up, a cloud took him into their sight. Miraculous, amazing, right? And in verse 10, while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way. The same way that you saw him go up into heaven. Now this is a rhetorical question. I talked about this. um, You'll hear me hint at this several times. um, But whenever a rhetorical question is asked, you're not not supposed to answer it. You're just supposed to do something. Um, This is kind of a big deal in my marriage, right? Uh, I'm learning this slowly and painfully. But like when my wife says, hey, you want to take out the trash? She's not really interested in what I do or do not want to do with the trash at that moment. All she's interested in me doing is taking out this trash. 
Right, and so those are the kinds of questions that are loaded. They're rhetorical. I think we all do them. I tend to do them sometimes. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just now even figuring it out. And so I've just even kind of made a note to myself. Just because there's a question mark at the end doesn't mean that I'm not being told what to do. Right? So, hey, do you want to go ahead and mow the lawn today? <laughs> don't answer that question. Don't do it. It's not about the question. You're supposed to just do that thing. Just because there's a question mark at the end doesn't mean that you're not supposed to do, what you're sp- do something. And that's the exact kind of question that the angels are asking here. These men in white go, hey, guys, why are you still standing here staring into the sky? I notice there's no answer because the question is rhetorical. And the angels answer this before they can even begin to answer. He said, this Jesus, look, he's taken up to you, but he's coming back. As if to say, stop standing here. Stop waiting. You and I have been given this witness. Go. Go back in Jerusalem. Go there. Obey Jesus. Be a witness there. And for the next six chapters, they do that. And then it scatters them because the Spirit wants all the world to come to Jesus. And scatters them even to Judea, then to Samaria, until following that, we see the whole trajectory of the book of Acts ends up in Rome. This small cult of 12 people in an upper room celebrating the body and blood of Jesus Christ goes to Judea, Samaria. We saw this, remember, it goes to Asia, and it crosses Asia so fast that a guy by the name of Epaphras goes and plants a church in a place called Colossae. And we spent about eight or nine weeks talking about that little church plant that was a part of this movement. Because once they were witnesses, the movement began and it made it all the way to Rome, the center of the universe for that particular day and age. It came all the way across the ocean. It came all the way across the Great Plains into Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Because Jesus is going to be known by everyone because the Spirit of God wants to win the world for Christ. So why are you standing there? Why are you waiting? The Spirit's going to do it because He gives them a particular thing there. The Spirit's going to do it. The Spirit's going to make it happen. And then He, he kind of assures them, look, Jesus is coming back and you will have all that you need. The Spirit will give everything that you need. The Spirit will empower. The Spirit will make it happen. And you will have all the power that you need until Jesus comes back. I just want to stop for a minute. There are several probably in this room that do not believe this at all, and you doubt it completely, and you are at your last, you're at your wit's end, right? You're at the end of your rope. And right now you're probably wondering, God, where are you? Have you given up on me? And I want to encourage you with this little thing here that these angels are implying. Look, Jesus is coming back, but just because you can't see him doesn't mean that he isn't still promising to be with us all the way. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge your thinking. Maybe it's possible that Jesus is still here, that his spirit is still working. And even though you're at the end of your rope, Jesus will be with us sufficiently until he comes back. If you skip all the way into the story, Spirit is the one who provides the people for the mission. Not only does the Spirit accomplish the mission, but he provides the people. If you read all the way to the end of the chapter, you'd see that they had a guy to replace. That this Judas, the guy who had betrayed Jesus, went and hung himself. And they looked around, they were like, look, we need to replace this guy. And God provided a replacement. Two things. First and foremost, I pray that we're involved in a movement that's so powerful, a sense of community built around the gospel that's so intricately interwoven, such that if some piece were missing, we couldn't go on until they were replaced. Right? That probably some of you woke up this morning and you were like, I don't really need to go to Rosa Parks Elementary, they won't miss me. What if that were completely untrue? What if we were the kind of people that every Sunday or every time that there was community taking place around the gospel, we knew, man, if I don't go to that, they're going to miss out. If I'm not a part of that, if I don't pitch in on that, something is going to happen. I'll miss out and they'll miss out. Did you, that's what they did. Judas, he was the betrayer. And yet at the same time, they were like, we had better replace him before we take another step forward. And the Spirit, repli- the Spirit provides the people. You don't believe me? That's Connection Church. The gospel goes out and the Spirit brings people. 
I don't know how. I'm not that compelling or captivating as a communicator. I'm not. I'm not that interesting. I get real repetitive. It must be that the Spirit is doing something. And there's evidence of it. Such that I don't know, I don't even know who we can give credit for other than God and His Spirit. This movement started with prayer and the Spirit provided the power and the Spirit provided the people until Jesus comes back. And we're left with the question, how far can we go? Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth? A side note, um, some of you I've shared with uh, for the last year about the possibility of taking a mission team, uh, a team to go help church planters in Nepal in 2016. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but they're devastated. The ends of the earth are beckoning, aren't they? They're like begging. They're wanting us. They're hungry to hear the good news of Jesus. And so since we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, since now we have the power of the Spirit to complete God's mission, and since now the Spirit ultimately is the one who wants the world for Christ, and since the Spirit ultimately will give us the power and presence until Jesus comes back, then we see the purpose played out in the church and in the world that He will draw us closely. And because the Spirit has accomplished these things, we know, the church, that since the Spirit is unstoppable, we also, as the people being led and moved by the Holy Spirit, are also unstoppable if we will have an unwavering zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ in our own homes, our lives, our places of work and business, our families. We are unstoppable if we have an unwavering zeal for the glory of Christ. So let me just for a minute before we come back into worship give you some tangible ways that this is happening I'm going to brag to you about. God's doing something in this um, and it's his grace that's made this so magnificent. Um, I see it in the patience that you've shown for one another. Um, I, I don't know if you know, like, so we were about half as many people this time last year. Um, it's about twice as many people in the room not now, right now as there were a year ago. That means there's more chairs. And that means our volunteers have put up chairs and taken down chairs. As far as I can tell, we got to keep them out a couple of weeks, but um, let's say about 100 chairs a week for about 50 weeks, Right? told you never do math out loud, but I think 50 weeks times 100 is 5,000, right? So roughly, volunteers have patiently and graciously set up and put up and taken down and put away chairs, 5,000 of them. The stage has been, it was smaller because our band was smaller too a year ago, if you remember that. It's gotten bigger, right? Things, things looked a little bit different even in this room. And for at least 50 different times, some volunteers have graciously done this. And I want to say this to the guys and, and girls who have volunteered in this. I've never, I've never seen that kind of teamwork in my entire life. I've never been a part of team, a team that had that kind of sense of teamwork like that. I've never. I've never even seen it before. It must be the Holy Spirit doing this. It must be that Jesus is being blessed and glorified, and it must be the Holy Spirit working in our zeal for the glory of Christ. I've never seen people so kind to one another. And it's not because we're not different. There's a lot of opinions and different worldviews that exist in this particular room, right? There's a lot of different political views. There's a lot of different, I mean, I mean it's, it's, if we wanted to, we could pick a fight pretty easily. And yet, I've seen nothing but patience shown to one another. I've seen nothing but grace that you people have shown, not only to me and your patience to me and my family, but to one another. What an awesome, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have any other way to explain that. That's not how people act. That's certainly, I mean, that's not necessarily how all churches act either. Right? We've all got scars from a church or other people, and yet all I can tell you is that I've just seen God's grace and mercy poured out on one another with the people in this room. And that's happened over the last year of witnessing the Holy Spirit move and do something. And I believe that Jesus is going to carry it out into completion, the thing that he started and began in you and me. And in some miraculous way, he'll use this church to do it. I've seen it over and over and over again. So the picture I've shared with you about 14 months again is the way I want to illustrate this finally. The picture of the church is meant to be like a waiting room. A waiting room, and I want to paint maybe two pictures of two different kinds of waiting rooms that you've maybe been in. There's a difference between the waiting room 
before you go into a job interview and the waiting room that you wait in to go see the doctor. Right? There's a difference. The waiting room outside the office you're going to go have a job interview is full of people who are competitive with one another. They ultimately want a job, right? And they are well-dressed, dressed their best. They want to make the best possible impression. And they want to cover up any flaws that they have, so much so that they're, let's be honest, their resume is probably not necessarily believable. You what? You're a engineering maintenance professional? What? That's a, you're a garbage man. What? What, what do those we mean? And they try to, we try to gloss it up, put the most important thing at the top of the resume, and we want to impress those people because we want them to approve us, approve of us, and we want to win their approval. And then there's the waiting room that exists outside of a doctor's office. Seen those? Hacking, coughing, runny noses. Nobody dresses up for that waiting room. And there's just kind of this general assumption that everybody that's in the waiting room in the doctor's office has got something that's kind of wrong with them. And it isn't the kind of error that people are like trying to hide what's wrong. In fact, it's kind of like you're looking around the waiting room like, I wonder what's wrong with him. I wonder... Well, I, and, and then there's the, the person who walks in, you're like, I know what's wrong with that guy. Right? The guy who walks into the critical care, care clinic and he's bleeding out of his head. Okay, we, that's obvious. And the church of Jesus Christ that is unstoppable when it's infused with the power of God's Spirit is meant to look a lot more like a waiting room waiting to see a doctor than a waiting room waiting to see a job interview. And thank God, I, I hope this continues to be the case. I hope that we continue to be a people who, instead of dressing up and trying to impress one another, but we come before Jesus Christ witnessing not to how good we are, but how good it's going to be when we get to see the doctor. Witnessing to how broken we are. Honest. And in an environment that's gracious enough that would conduce, be conducive to that kind of honesty. Let us be a group of people so empowered by the Holy Spirit Let us come to Jesus as he calls us to him, not as a group of people who need to dress up and look better because we know that those kinds of fake righteousness, that is filthy, disposable rags. But Jesus calls us to come to him as the church by his spirit. He will turn our hearts. He will turn the hearts of the people you witness to. These people, these first people, they were scared to death to tell people about Jesus, just like you are. And yet his spirit did the work and he drew people together such that they were this beautiful, broken piece and conglomeration of rebellious people that Jesus chose to bring glory to himself and all the nations. My prayer is that we're just that.